This is the Bethel Business Podcast, brought to you by the Bethel Chamber of Commerce in Bethel, Connecticut, and produced by Smith Douglas Associates. Hello again. Welcome to the Bethel Business Podcast. Today, I'm with Ginny Hull Hartline from Hull Graphic Design. Tell me, how long have you been a graphic designer? Wow, it's probably going on 35 years I've been in the graphic arts industry. How is it different now than it was when you started? Wow, it's entirely different. It's entirely changed. The whole uh, technology realm has changed. Uh, When I started out, I was what they used to call a mechanical artist on the boards in an advertising agency. And I learned all of the traditional skills about how to do what they call paste-up mechanical work in the ad days. And that was a really good foundation to learn full production through printing. When the desktop publishing revolution came along, that was a huge shift in the industry. People were starting to have to learn to use computers to do that kind of work, and eventually that kind of work became archaic and is really entirely gone now. Nobody uses that kind of skill level anymore. Um, So the desktop publishing revolution pushed us all into using computers, and it put software into the hands of people that weren't designers, that could do a lot of things on their own. Um, And a lot of professional skills like typesetting, photostat, uh, photography skills got all lumped into this software and many people didn't have that kind of skill initially to master the software programs, but that was one of the biggest shifts. Did you notice that as a professional seeing amateurs using PageMaker and creating some pretty horrible design? Yes, yes, it was it was good and bad. And there mm-hmm. were some people that found that they had a knack for it, they had mm-hmm. a design sense. And they might have been able to produce some pretty good things. Um, and then there were other people where I would might say, "What well, just because you could doesn't mean you should. Um, and sometimes, you know, I would have to advise clients that you do get what you pay for. You know, you might think that this uh, vendor or supplier can produce something good for you, but maybe they're just not, it's not their knack. You know, it's not their talent. They might be, you know how to use the software well, technically, but maybe they're not really bringing an elevated sense you know, design sense to it. What did you get your degree in? Well, I studied biology and fine art. I was always interested in uh, science and art. I was innately an artist from the day I picked up a pencil. My mom used to tell a story that I drew something when I was two years old, and I took it to her and said, what is this, mom? And and she knew she was going to make or break me that day. And she thought, oh my gosh, well, I said the truth. I said, it's a duck. Mm-hmm. And I was very happy because it was a duck. And she was kind of amazed that at that age I could draw something recognizable. So I pursued art. I was just innately interested in creating things always. I was a very crafts-oriented kid. So that's how I ended up kind of putting science and art together. I wanted to find a school that had good, strong programs in both, because I wasn't really sure at that age, well, what do I want to pursue? What do I want to be when I grow up? I wanted to pick a school that maybe I wouldn't have to transfer from and uh, be able to pursue what I wanted to do. So initially, I wanted to combine uh, the majors. I picked Oberlin College because it was going to allow me to construct a major, and what I needed to do was create a curriculum, and it had to be approved by the faculty board. 
and I took it to the board. I wanted to be a botanical illustrator. I was kind of plant crazy. So uh, they reviewed my proposal and met with me and said, well, you're really just four, four hours, credit hours short of a full biology degree, so why don't you just double major? So I said, okay, I'll just double major. So that's what I did, and I put them together. And I, um, I was sort of the art student of the biology department in college. I did, way back then, remember the overhead slides, projectors, and things like that. I used to do all those diagrams and things for the biology professors. And some of my professors also were had published textbooks, and they were revising their textbooks. So I worked for academic credit in the labs doing the dissections and doing the illustrations, pen and ink mostly, that went into their textbooks. So I was, I'm published. <laughs> I showed that to one of my nieces the other day, and she was floored. She had no idea. So, uh, so I always put science and art together. So what was your first job out of college? Well, out of school, I managed to land a job with a pharmaceutical ad agency. In uh, college, I did some uh, summer intern programs, not really interns back then as they call them now. I was called an apprentice to an art director and I worked with an ad agency and in an ad department for another company. And uh, the art director there kind of took me under his wing and he showed me these old set skills that I told you about with mm -hmm. the paste up mechanical work. So that was my that was my marketable skill when I graduated college. And uh, I managed to get a job in a pharmaceutical advertising agency in the production department as a mechanical artist. Yeah, eventually they promoted me to an account manager because they realized my biology background, having some conversations with me about some of the client pitches we were doing and the material that was on my drawing board <clears throat> seemed surprising to them that I knew mm -hmm. all about it. <clears throat> so when we landed a large account like American Cyanamid Letterly Laboratories back then, they promoted me to an account executive. So I kind of learned the business a little bit by fire and also decided to go back to school at night at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan to learn things about the industry that I was in, uh, account management. And I also studied illustration and art direction there. When did you decide to start on your own? Well, uh, that was in 91. So after I did a few years in pharmaceutical advertising, I left that business and went into medical publishing. It was kind of a normal segue, sort of the other side of the fence. And I worked for a medical publisher as an art director for journals that went to physicians. And one of the journals I art directed for many years was the Journal of Critical Illness. And uh, our publisher, I also worked on journals like Respiratory Diseases, musculoskeletal medicine, a business journal called Consultant, and things like that that the, that the publisher quarterlies as well. They did special projects. Um, so I was very interested in that point in publishing, and it really kind of became my strong suit. So after a number of years with that, at around the 10-year mark of working full-time, I went out on my own. I started my own business. And what did you focus on with that business? I stayed in medical communications. Um, I was sort of known for it at that point. I guess I had created a reputation and I had started a business on the side. It was kind of common to be a freelance graphic designer and my company didn't seem to mind. In fact, they sort of promoted it. So as long as it didn't interfere with my job, my nine to five hours, mm -hmm. they didn't mind that I was working on projects on the side for other clients. So. I started doing that, and for about the last four years of my full-time employment, I was growing that business. And I had a client 
that I worked a lot with that came to me and asked me to do all of their work. And uh, I took a look at it and I said, well, I really need to quantify this because I also need to assess my life and really start to know what, what do I need to make to live? What do I need to pay my mortgage and my car payment and things like that and eat food? And so I really had to assess everything and come up with a figure of what I needed to live. And I did. And I went back to the client. We had a good relationship. It was a good way to start. I always recommend to people that if it's possible, it might be a wise move to, to start out with what we call the retainership. So I knew that they had a certain amount of work to be done. They knew it, and they were willing to contract with me for that. So we contracted legally with lawyers and all mm -hmm. that stuff. We drew up a contract, and the contract was a year. And I knew that they were going to be able to give me enough work on a monthly basis, and I knew that that much work would enable me to leave my job and survive. And I knew that I had to put my nose to the grindstone and develop a larger client base and just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And that's also when the whole desktop publishing revolution was happening. Mm -hmm. And I had to go out and educate myself as well quickly on that platform because the company I was leaving was not on that platform. It was another reason I wanted to go out elsewhere. And uh, so I pretty much determined that I had 90 days, believe it or not, to create a cash flow that I could live on and be working on the Macintosh platform where all the graphic designers were working. And I did it. What was your first program you learned? Wow. I, uh, back then, before the Adobe Creative Suite, which is sort of rules the world now, mm -hmm. was Quark Express. Uh, Page Maker, I think, also existed, but I chose to go with Quark Express. I went to physically to computer learning centers. This was before the age of laptops. So I used to go to a computer learning center about 40 minutes away from where I lived, and I had to break down my whole desktop system and bring it with me and break in my car and break it down and bring it back home with me on a daily basis for like a week or two intensive training you know to to come up to speed on the software that I needed to learn and uh, so the, things were so different back then so that's what I did um, and ended up in uh, in a lot of publishing work moving from the traditional to the digital oh, how yes. quickly do you think it took right, right. Well, um, I did it, as I just said, very yeah. quickly, but I was pretty uh, predisposed to learning that kind of stuff. When I worked in medical publishing full-time, I was actually supporting their computer system, strangely, as the art director in the art department, to the point where I understood the coding. I actually used to write code there in a different kind of system, but I they tasked me with recoding basically most of their publications because on my own publications that I was art directing I managed to decrease the, the amount of code to about a third of what was needed to produce the, the magazines and um, and they realized that it was more efficient and they were having less problems with the computer system so they tasked me to do that so I guess I got to a level of expertise with that where when for instance the systems operator went on vacation for a week it was me who they put in, the art director, in the $4 million hardware computer room to run the place. So, <laughs> so uh, and even after I left and was in my own business, they actually hired me at times freelance to come in and help with that. So, so I, was, I was pretty good at understanding the coding. You know, with computers, really can only do what you tell them to do. 
you just have to start to learn how they think. What kind of information and data do they need to produce what you're trying to do? And once you understand that, and that's really how software works now, mm -hmm. you know, so once you understand that, you can make your way through and you can kind of think through, you know, the software and figure out what do I need here and how would I do that, you know, with this mm -hmm. set of tools. When did you start migrating from purely graphic design to more marketing? Oh, well, certainly over time, people needed marketing help, uh, more communications and content creation help. So initially and early on, I really always tried to partner with people that did marketing and that was their skill set, did writing, copywriting, editing, proofreading, things like that. Because in my publishing environment, certainly other people were providing those skill sets and I was doing a different part of it. But I understood enough about what they were doing that I could find people and partner with them, you know, to provide the services that we needed for the projects that we were doing. So sometimes the clients have those kinds of resources and that's fine. I can work with their own preferred vendors or their in-house people. Or sometimes I provide that through my partnerships with other professionals like myself and contractors. If a client came up to you just starting a new business, mm -hmm. how do you help them brand themselves? Well, initially, obviously I want to first find out what kind of preparation work they've done already. Maybe they've done some of this that I might want to suggest to them. So I want to find out where they're at in their planning process. I'm not really the person that you talk to about doing the business planning. I generally take the marketing plan and to start doing visualization and uh, work with the marketing people to prepare the materials now, whether print or digital, that they're going to need to launch their business as well as keep their business going and communicate with their customers. With so much in the digital sphere now, are brochures and flyers still a thing? I think so. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just at a, a one of my printer's open houses last night. Um, they were showcasing some incredible new equipment they have. And we were talking about the state of affairs with direct mail. Uh, when the email became such a business tool and email marketing became a, a business tool, a lot of direct mail, which is the mail that lands in your physical United States postal mailbox, started to decrease. People were getting um, pretty jaded to all the mail that they were receiving and they it wasn't um, getting a lot of high return anymore and now I think people are starting to feel that their inbox might be getting a little too full. So there's kind of an opportunity now, direct mail, as we were talking about with the printer last night, and the statistics are all showing that that's kind of back on the upswing. So there's less mail in the U.S. mailbox to you, so if you prepare a mailing with the proper communication messages and targeted audiences, well now you can stand out back, you know, again, once again in the mailbox. So that is on, on the upswing. I think that they are uh, communication vehicles that are going to coexist. Um, I always liken it to the advent of television after radio had been the way the country, let's say, was communicating. They now coexist. You know, all the experts back then said, oh, radio was going to be antiquated and it was going to be obsolete and everything's going to go to television. Well, that didn't happen. And even some of our design journals, when the internet boomed and desktop publishing came to be, the design journals I was reading was were telling us that, oh, print's going away and everything's going to be web-based now. We certainly are seeing a ton of that, mm -hmm. but print is never going to disappear. It's, it's going to coexist. You don't only deal with print and design, but you also do design digitally as well. 
Right, right. Well, certainly over time, when the internet boomed, our clients were asking us, uh, well, you do websites too, right? And I thought, well, we better get on this bandwagon, you know, because business changes. That's a, that's a given. It's always going to change. And you can either choose to adapt to it and try to keep up with it, or hire people that can keep up with it for you, or change what you're doing one day because it may not be able to be done that way eventually. So, uh, so yes, we got on that bandwagon and I started to take, like I said, computer learning classes. I went, I've always had to try to do that, stay ahead of the curve and when you're, when you have your own business or you're self-employed, you have to do that on your own. You don't have an employer sending you to learning classes and, oh, we're changing the software in the office and we're going to send you to a training to know how to do it. You know, no, you've got to manage to surmount that yourself. So I've always committed to that, and uh, now there's also plenty of e-learning and online learning, as everybody sees. You can YouTube almost anything. I subscribe to a couple tutorial services that keep me abreast of what's going on and some of the latest skills. So uh, that I've always found very helpful. So if you had a client coming to you, I need a logo, I need a brochure, I need a website, mm -hmm. where do you start? Well, depending on which they're talking to me about, like you said, if, if, they, uh, if they may start in the phase where they don't have a logo, that's kind of square one. So we might want to start there and start to, um, I try to glean from them what they're really all about. And if they seem to know who their competition is, find out how much they know, what kind of homework they might have already done, what they're aware of. Um, as I said earlier, with the marketing communications partnerships, I might recommend to them that first out the gate, they really need to be working with someone like that to determine a plan, you know, and uh, a tact for what they need to do. But uh, as far as the visuals, that's where we come into play. And, uh, and I'll try to get from them what they like, what they don't like. Do they know other businesses out there that they can send me links or information about? I might take a look at what we think their competition is and what they're doing. And I ask people to show me things that they might like that they might not even be in their industry. There may be something that's you know, worthy looking at that doesn't have anything to do with what their business actually is, but maybe it's a, an interesting way to explore it visually. You hear the phrase bandied about now, a responsive website. What right. is it and why is it so important? Right, yes. Responsive and mobile-friendly are actually t a slightly different terminology. Um, responsive means that a website is built with a kind of coding that will adapt, it will determine what kind of device is trying to load it, and it will reformat the website to display easily on that device for the user to read it and interact with it. Mobile friendly, in a little bit, as we say the old days, which in technology it could be five years ago, um, Mobile-friendly really meant that it was easy to read and load on a mobile device as small as a smartphone, but in the, quote, older days, five or ten years ago, companies would invest in building two to three different websites with two to three different code sets so that one website loaded on a desktop at that size and one website loaded on a tablet at that size and then the third website loaded on the mobile, the smartphone at that size, and that was awful, an awful lot of maintenance over time and obviously expense for a, for a business to invest in. Now, responsive mobile friendly these days really mean, responsive is starting to now engulf the mobile friendly because Google changed its criteria. Google, the big player in the search industry, is now working, they started this I think in 2014 when they announced that they were only, they were going to rank mobile friendly sites on 
their devices on mobile devices before any sites that were not mobile friendly. So think about when you do a search in Google, let's say, does anybody really look past the first page? Maybe they go to the second page of search results. But if you're not in that first page or maybe the second page, you're basically not being found. So the more and more companies that are now have now developed their responsive mobile friendly site, when someone that is a prospective customer of their business does a search, those sites that are mobile friendly and responsive are going to load first by Google on those devices, on the mo on let's say the smartphones and the tablets, because they're in the business of providing relevant results. If they don't provide relevant results, people would not be using them. So now they are actually changing their algorithms further, they're in the process of dropping non-mobile friendly sites entirely. So they won't be found at all. And strangely, there are almost 50% of businesses that have a website, their site is not responsive mobile friendly. And they really need to understand that this is important, that they need to start converting that. Because Google, no matter what they do, at a certain point in the near future, won't rank their site on a mobile device at all. And why is that even further important? Because the statistics are showing that up to 70% of users that are surfing the internet in any way are using their smartphone and tablet devices, their mobile devices, not necessarily their laptops or desktops anymore. So that's very important for future business, both for gaining new customers as well as communicating with current customers. They're going to be interacting with you on their mobile devices. One of the things that small businesses find a challenge with is social media. Not only how to use it, not only how to engage with it, but there's just so many choices. Right. How do you talk to your clients about social media? Right. Well, it, it's an overwhelming. I mean, most of the time, the business owners that I do talk with about that are feeling very overwhelmed by all the choices out there. They don't know where to start. Um, sometimes business consultants tell them that they need to be here, there, and everywhere. It's a, it's a Herculean effort. It really is. It's impossible for a small business to handle all of that. They certainly don't have the budgets for it. I mean, when you see all of this kind of connectivity from large companies on social media and other media and in print, they have large budgets, including specifically the social media. They have large budgets for this and committed people that are handling campaigns and postings and commenting and all that kind of stuff. A small business can't really afford that kind of presence. But what I try to coach them to do is, it kind of goes back to the marketing plan and, de and determining who is your ideal customer. Where are they? We call it like, where are the eyeballs? You know, where are the eyeballs falling? Where are the people that you are trying to reach interacting most? Are they on Facebook? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? Those are the top three platforms that people are using now. Pinterest is, is pretty popular too. But there are many out there. So once you can try to determine that, and sometimes you just have to experiment a little to determine that, then maybe that's the one platform you want to start with. I teach people to start with one and do it well. You're better off dealing with one platform at a time and learning to do it well and, and learning to get a return on that and then expand to another one when you determine that, oh, there's another one that's very pertinent to my audience here. Okay, maybe now I need to be posting my you know, restaurant meals on Instagram and showing people how delicious they are by photographs. Do you do any digital marketing yourself via social media or what Yes, I've been, I've been stepping that up. Yep, we have a Facebook page as well. I try to 
post periodically there, although guilty as charged, you know, it's hard to keep up with doing it that regularly. Honestly, it's not just about posting anything. What you want to do is try to find material and content that's really helpful or interesting to your audience. Otherwise, they're not going to follow you. You know, it's, if you're not providing helpful information to them or guiding them somehow, they're just not, it's not worth their time to follow you. So I really try when I do post, it might not be often enough, but when I do post, I try to find something worthy, you know, that would be of interest. And it might even be out of my industry. It just might be something personal, like helping with these hurricanes or these disasters that are happening. I mean, if we can all share information like that, you know, that's helpful. What are some of the challenges you find both as a designer and a small business owner? Well, let's see. Probably two-part. The challenges of a designer. Uh, I think keeping up, like I've been saying, with the technology advancements is, is very challenging. Maybe I'm biased because this is my field, but I think that our industry, as far as technology, software, and hardware, changes the fastest compared to many others, although maybe cybersecurity <laughs> is catching up with that because that's a huge issue lately. But uh, technology is challenging. Communication has gotten more challenging because the media out there in the different ways convinces people that are your clients that everything is just a click of a button and so easy to do and so quick. Um, in some cases, yes, but you know, I've taken maybe 20 or more years to know which of those buttons to push. So, <laughs> so I think it's kind of challenging sometimes because people's expectations are very high and uh, I certainly like to rise to their expectations, but sometimes I have to educate them about a process that is just not, you know, familiar to them, but that's okay. I mean, I, I probably do the same thing with other industries, like accounting, you know, or something like that. And challenges as a small business owner? Yeah, as a small business owner, I'm kind of right in the same boat as these other small business owners. It's, it's hard to try to do everything and provide the service or the product that you produce um, at a level that you're getting paid for and try to keep up with all your own marketing and your own promotion. So that's always challenging. So I understand that very well firsthand. I think ethics is also challenging out there. You know, maybe we all, we all come across this in business. I like to... I like to work with people who are honest and I like to provide honesty back to them. I think um, sometimes business ethics are a little missing with the competitive nature of the marketplaces now. What made you decide to open your business in Bethel? Oh, well, for um, maybe the first 15, 10, 10 years or so, I was down in the south of uh, Fairfield County and I was in Norwalk and Stamford. Norwalk a couple of times in Stanford with different offices because I lived down there and uh, I had clients everywhere and I had uh, in tri-state area as well as around the country but I ended up meeting my husband I started dating him he was living up here in Bethel one thing led to another and I thought wow I guess I better move we're getting married <laughs> but you know strangely I loved Bethel it was odd because years back I had gone to a party up here a social event with somebody I knew and I remember coming up here and thinking, I really like Bethel. That's such a charming town. I, I, I could live in Bethel. Never thought about it, you know, that I would actually live there. Never thought I'd meet somebody that lived there. And what do you know? It, it happened. You're a member of the Bethel Chamber of Commerce. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? That's a, that's a good question because, you know, uh, we've been in business now uh, 26 years this year. And I was never a member of a Chamber of Commerce before that. And... Uh, I guess I've been a member for, I want to say, five years maybe now, four or five, probably five years. 
Um, I also have large corporate clients that I work with, and I wanted to start reaching out to some of the local businesses, and I thought maybe the best way to do that was through the Chamber of Commerce. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll throw my hat in that ring, and I'll start trying to interact with local events and maybe some of the uh, groups that they put together and and see if I could kind of spread the word about, you know, hey, you got a graphic designer in your community, an art director. We do some very high-level work. We're continuing to stay you know, educated in B2B services and offer more to our clients over time. So I might as well reach out because uh, the small businesses need this kind of help and maybe they don't know that we're here in their backyard. If people are interested in contacting you, how do they find you? Well, we have a website, hullgraphicdesign.com. Um, so they can call our number, 203-797-9497. Um, we're on the Bethel Chamber website. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Bethel Business Podcast. For more information about the Bethel Chamber of Commerce, call 203-743-6500 or visit discoverbethelct.com. If you run a business in the Bethel area and are interested in being a guest on this podcast, contact Smith Douglas Associates at 203-628-2606.